person like Tony Collier. Let's go, baby. We have arrived. We, okay, we need to let everyone know that we've been working on this podcast for a solid 45 minutes because I am too incompetent to know how to record. And Tony, you've been just a, a paragon out. of graciousness. Thank you. Just, wow, I've never been called that before. Well, put it in your bio. I'm a shape of graciousness. Yes, that's... Oh, I love it. Yes, that's you. You've been just there, sitting there, representing gracious, because I have been unable to hit the right <laughs> button. The R button, that means record. I, for some reason, didn't hit it. I loved that it was the R button that you didn't hit. That it was just so... It wasn't F or like B or S. It was just it's R. It's like F3 and control. <laughs> that's like, that's, that's what, what I wanted it to be, but it's the, the bright, shining R button. <laughs> and so, you've been sitting there like... The the example of graciousness for the whole world, and I appreciate Thanks. that. And uh, we've had so many great, important things that we've covered. Yeah, uh, I, I hate that the audience missed that. But a couple important things. You're from Houston. Oh, I'm from Texas. Best state in the world. Now, we've made some bad calls here, okay? But we own it. You know we, what I'm we've saying? Made <laughs> we've made a few. We've made a few. Let me tell you something. We, uh, at our church, we have been blessed to have a family from uh, Afghanistan yes. recently find their way over to the States. And long story short, we, I have some friends who connected them. Anyway, uh, long story. Year and a half in the process. I Come probably on. need to turn that into a podcast episode at some That's point. That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, that'll be... A little, okay, we'll work on that. But... So uh, they've got connected to a couple uh, people from our church, and they refer to their family now. We have an Afghanistan family, Uh and we have a Texas family. What I love is it's not we have an American family. No, 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 because it's not an American family. It's a Texas family. Let me tell you, I didn't even realize what you were saying. I was like, yeah, Texas, duh. Yeah. Obviously. Okay. But it's not American family. It's a Texas Texas family. That's right. Yes. We're our own country. Surprise. Yes, Amen. Hook 'em horns. Are you a UT fan? I, yeah, I'm, I'm in. You're it. Sam Houston. I mean, I'm Sam Houston, but I'm UT all the way. I'm, I'm get it. I bleed orange. Yeah. You know, as as the Lord does as well. That's what I'm trying to say. But you ended up in Atlanta, Georgia. I did end up in Atlanta, and honestly, I don't claim it. I'm going to be honest about that. Like I really? say it, and then people are like, "But you still live in Texas," and I'm like, "I don't. I just want to be honest. I've been there for 12 years. 12. I don't. I don't claim it though." Still what? got my Houston number, you know? Do you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I, I That's know that. That's right. Uh, so you're still a Texas girl? Yes, I am. Through and through. Shipley's, Donuts. Every time I land, I, I go straight there. there. I was getting there. I had Torchies today. Can I be honest with you? Yeah. I just want us to just be transparent right now. I've got Torchies queso in my car console right now as we record. That's the right- I am dipping mm-hmm. and driving and scooping and slurping on mm-hmm. the way here. Okay, in your book, you, you, you talk about some driving incidents that you had in the past, and we've progressed mm. into now it's queso in the car, which oh. if, if you have an accident from that, I think that's in Texas, saying. they're like, that's excusable. YOLO. Yeah, it's excusable. It's like, oh, well, it was Torchy's queso, queso, so you're allowed to get an accident. I would probably hand a little bit to the police officer. And the officer, he or she, would be very understanding. Like, give me a chip with that. And then it's even. Uh, so you're a real Texas person. I was going to ask you your donut preference. You went Shipley's. That is my preference as well. Oh, yes. It's got depth. It does. Krispy Kreme has air. Shipley's, depth. Depth. Every summer, my mm. wife and our family, we drive to Seaside, Florida, oh, where yeah. all the white people from Georgia and Tennessee... Yeah, 38. See you down there. Yes. Mm. You've been there? Oh, every year, unfortunately. You- <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed a little bit. <laughs> Why? Why did you say unfortunately? I don't know, because you go, all the white people, and I'm like, okay. But you know that's right, though. It is true. It's... I don't know if... <laughs> that's the best. What? It's fine. But you notice, you're like, huh. I do, I do notice. when I Every time I go down there, I notice. Okay. I was a young 
college intern working mm-hmm. in Atlanta, Georgia, okay. and the remake of Shaft came out, okay. and I went to see Shaft, and I was the only white person in that movie theater. Oh, I'm sure you were. And I noticed that. <laughs> so I can imagine on a much substa- more substantial yeah, level, 30A. you noticed that in 30A. 100%. It's kind of like... Um, a little role reversal here. Exactly. Love that. Exactly. And so every year when I'm driving to 30A with mm-hmm. all the white people and the Collier family... <laughs> Um, I, I, I coordinate our stops based on the last Shipley's oh, yes. in Texas. I think there's one in Louisiana. Oh, And so I will, we'll get up like at four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning, drive. And my goal is to get on the other side of Houston That's and right. get Shipley's. Mm, listen to me. There's something delicate about it. There's something delicate about a Shipley donut. Mm-hmm. There's something deli- delicate about a kolache. Mm-hmm. Like the kolaches. I love the kolaches. Yes. I've been trying to get them to sponsor me. I hope they hear this podcast. They should. Yeah. And please email me back. Or text you on your Houston <laughs> cell oh, phone Houston number. number. Yeah. We'll put the number on the end of the episode. Okay. Yeah, the so show notes. Can yeah. Show notes will be your cell phone number. <laughs> okay. So you are Sam Houston grad. Uh-huh. After you graduated. Yeah. Uh, where do you go next? Ooh, well, I was supposed to go to law school, but I met a boy. Okay. And after three months of dating, I took all my little monies and moved us to Georgia mm-hmm. and got engaged at 19. Oof. Yeah. And then that went downhill very, very, very fast. Okay. But Dylan. Sweet girl. Appears from that, from that relationship. So she does. So we're going to park there for a second. Okay, come on. Let's but you're, you're 19. Which I am means years old. You, you kind of fast-tracked it. You were a little I bit did. precocious. Uh-huh. And let me tell you something. You start college when you're 17. I did the same thing. No. I was 16 when I got to college, turned 17 a few weeks later. That's what I did. When's your birthday? But July. Okay. July mine's, 19th. Mine's August 25th, so a few weeks behind you there. But I get to school, and everyone's like, oh, like Doogie Hauser, which I assume yeah. there's a yep, 100%. Fe- female version of that. It's to, me. To some degree. Mm-hmm. I have a theory that starting early actually, like, that's a ghost coming in. The door just does that. It's all right. Um, I have a theory that starting early, <laughs> it's we're making room for Elijah, uh, as scripture tells us to. Oh. You almost died over there. <laughs> um, are you all right? It's because you're so quick. You're so quick. Yeah. Okay. So that's a ghost. That's it. It is. It okay. is. But again, like we both college at sixteen, like that just that yes. that kind of stuff happens. I'm very smart. And uh, oh. and I think that starting starting so early actually inhibited like my emotional development because oh, I pretended 100%. to be older than oh, I actually yeah. was. Oh yeah. And so people say, "Oh, that person's immature." And you're like, "Well, no, you're sixteen, and that's how you're supposed to be." And then I'm like, "Oh, well, I'm not supposed to be sixteen. Let me stop joking around. Let me yeah. stop being so playful." Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you felt that too? Oh, a hundred percent. Like. It was, I toyed, I think I was on this pendulum of like, oh my gosh, you're so playful. I actually was called a Teletubby every now and again. And then I was like, I'm not going to be a Teletubby. No. I am a serious person. And you guys are going to take me seriously. And I'm going to do really serious grown up things, which in college, that is like drinking until you black out and (laughs) drinking. I want to say, I'm going to be so adult. Like, I'm going to be just like Mm y'all. So yeah, it was real bad. And I'm a people pleaser. I have that kind of like weakness. So yeah. So I like took a different direction but it was the same attempt to be older and so i this is a such a jerk move i started preaching very early okay so it's the same kind of thing yeah but We're, except for i went like down well, and you went up well you know each of us came from similar motivations sure it was the behavior may present different yeah but so i'm 
like 18 and I'm preaching. Wow. And uh, 19, I, I have a church I'm preaching every Sunday out in small town, West Texas. Come on. And so I loved it. Super great people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My daughter's, my middle, my youngest daughter's named after uh, like the the matriarch of that church. Oh, just like so, changed your life. Yeah, this Audrey. Uh, Audrey Brooke was, Brooks was the name of the lady who wow. kind of gave me my call to ministry. So Come first on. Sunday I preached there, she walks up and goes, uh, I finished my sermon. She's 88. I think at the time, and she's uh, like, uh, gravity's kind of like caused you know. her posture to kind of okay. like kind of come in a little over. bit, yeah, yeah, a little, little bit, a little over. bit. And so she walks up, she goes, leaned over, she hands me my check for fifty dollars, which mm. is what I got paid to preach. Perfect, balling. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You can get so much gas back and then. She, exactly yeah. on my 1988 Honda Accord. Yeah, that would go for six months. <laughs> it would go for six months. But she said, Luke, you can go as far as you want in this, <gasps> and. It was just what? like this, like in that moment, like I felt like, oh wow, this is what I should be doing with my life. Come on. And so it was super meaningful to me to, to have these experiences, but I always felt like I had to project something mm. that I wasn't because I started so early. Come on. I think that's really wise of you to say that. And I think that, I do think that in ministry. I remember when I first got saved at 21, still mm-hmm. fresh off the salvation bus here, <laughs> no big deal. Um, I was still so super young, but I was kind of elevated like you. Like I became a youth pastor super quick and people mm-hmm. were looking at the pastor like he was crazy. He's like, this crazy girl barely just got saved. Why are you doing this? Yeah. And But he just, you know, saw the, the call of God on my life and the youth pastor before me saw the call of God on my life and was like, you've got this. But... I kind of was living this double life of we're just going to be 100% real. Yeah. I was super mature on stage on Sundays, but For Monday sure. through Saturday, whoo. Yeah. I was twerking. Twer- <laughs> <laughs> twerking. Yes. Yeah. Um, a few weeks, a few months ago, I had someone yeah. from Georgia who uh, was a musician in a band called Destiny's Child, Michelle Williams. Stop. She was on the podcast. I honestly and- thought you were going to say Beyonce and I got so wow. hot. I started sweating. Yeah. But I love Michelle and I love that she has started to go down the mental health journey herself, yeah. but then also like has decided to reach back and teach. I love her and I, I- love her new book, all the things. See, I figured like... Atlanta, yes. she probably goes to your church Same or something way. like that. Does she go to your church? She does not go to my church. Okay, is it, are you offended by that? <laughs> I am not offended by that. Yes. I, love the, I love the church she goes to, the pastor she goes to, okay. um, leads under, and all the things. Okay. Like, do you think TLC is better than Destiny's Child because of that? You know, I just want to be honest, okay? I, I know Bills, 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 you know? <laughs> um, Bootylicious was a, a song that I twerked to sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you and me both. Uh, so I don't know. I'm a Destiny's Child girl, I'm going to be honest about Okay, that. all right, fair. I just didn't know how it resembled. But... <laughs> I tried to use my conversation with her as a way to tell my daughter, daughters to not twerk. Oh, and I said, well, how could I tell her? Tell yeah. them not to. And her response was, what she, uh, said? she said, uh, well, it'll give you arthritis. So don't do it. And I was like, that's, that's- you know, honest, can I be a hundred? I just, no, no. I have progressive arthritis <laughs> in my right toe. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Gosh. I wear hokas. Hokas? Yeah, because of my arthritis. And honestly... Blame it from... from it was twerking. Well, you know what? Dang it. I'll Tell your I'm daughters s- I'm like a living testimony. So Michelle was right. She was exactly <laughs> right. I'm going to show them my toes, which are completely perfect. That's right. And then you... I mean, no, they don't want to look at this no, big toe over no, here. No, no twerking. Lord. Okay, so like we're saying, uh, don't twerk. But yes. you were young, 21, yep. youth ministry. Yep. But during the week, maybe wasn't so youth ministry-ish. No. And life was kind of uh, complex. Hard. Yeah. Complex is a good word. That was very kind. Okay. It was very, very hard. I was, again, I, at 19, I moved to a whole different state, got engaged to this guy. We mm. were so poor. 
we were on WIC, food stamps, financial assistance, all the things, yeah. and became a youth, you know, youth director, youth volunteer, all the things, and then got ordained as a youth pastor. And it just was, it was clear that I was a fan of God, not a follower. It just was clear. What's the difference for you? For me, a fan, which is what I was, was just kind of in the bleachers of ministry, you know, like looking at everybody else. I knew every worship song, but I didn't, you know, barely know any scripture. I barely knew who God was. I wasn't praying daily, uh, more so, you know, right before I got on stage at church kind of thing, you know, and just living this double life. And at home, it was super dark. We, you know, it was an abusive marriage, very toxic, doors ripped off the hinges, holes punched in the walls. But what happens when you pretend on stages is that you also pretend off stages, right? So I pre- was pretending that this marriage mm. was amazing, uh, that ministry was all good, that I was doing my thing, and it just caught up to me. Hmm. So, yeah. Eventually, the, the marriage... Yeah, uh, transitioned out, got a divorce. I remember the first time I saw fear in my daughter's eyes, and I was like, you know, it's time for us to transition out. Wow. Um, and unfortunately, I transitioned out of the church as well. Um, the pastor was very spiritually abusive um and so when i got went through the divorce i said hey i I think i need a break i think i need to kind of you know take some time to rebuild my life and he essentially said that if i left the church that that my purpose would maybe vanish because my purpose was connected to him yeah that's so yeah yeah yeah. i was gonna ask a follow-up question what does spiritual abuse look like that's that's it right there surprise y'all that's okay when he says something like that yeah red flags to go off because you're you're probably young. Oh, I'm super young. So I'm like, what? My purpose is connected to him? Like, well, I did get saved here under his leadership. I did, you know, get in ministry under his leadership. So maybe my purpose is actually connected to him. And um, the next thing I know, I was working full-time ministry there. He had come to me and said, hey, we don't have any budget for your position anymore. But what we want you to do is submit everything that you're currently doing and what you can still do as a volunteer so that you can go and work outside of the church and make more money and we're talking about you know someone that drove a four-door porsche lived in a multi-mansion like we saw two thousand members a week um and i was only making three hundred dollars a week i mean it was tough it it was a lot wow that's yeah. uh that's a lot. Mm. um he was driving a four-door porsche four-door porsche living it up wow uh i mean do they need like a teaching pastor or something i mean i'm just just asking <laughs> i'm just saying if you could maybe call uh, us if you, it'd be if great. he could afford that no that's <laughs> right so, what did you think when you saw that he's clearly living a um, yeah. financially uh, well endowed? Well, I don't know. He, well, I think the first thing was just like, man, he deserves that. You know, he's the pastor of the church, which is what happens when we put people on pedestals, right? Yeah. Like when, you know, I say this all the time, I was worshiping a pastor, not a savior. Yeah. And at first it was like, okay, we, he deserves that. I remember we did a whole fundraiser at one time, asked a whole staff for money to get him a Rolex. I mean, we were just manipulated in so many ways and then when i got outside of the <laughs> can, can we pause there you for wanna, a second you want to rewind okay I, I just can i just have a uh, just 60 seconds humor me of a fundraiser to buy pastor a rolex watch Correct. uh i don't even know the ballpark i don't even own a right, watch but it's some some thousands a couple thousand yep and you're making 300 dollars at the time correct he's and doing the, well the porsche the big um okay uh Uh let's keep going all right let's just keep going so at first it was that well then i started um getting invited to speak outside of the church Mm -hmm. which was very scary because it was like that's a big no-no like you you only use your gifts in this house why why do they say no to that well because then we would be building our own kingdom is what he said so okay okay Um, but some of them i got permission to do 
And I got a mentor outside of the church, incredible pastor. And she, I started explaining to her what was going on. I said, you know, something just doesn't feel right. And she's like, yeah, no, like you are being spiritually manipulated. There's a spiritual abuse here. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't think this is the healthiest church for you. And, and I honestly was just sad about it. I mean, this had been the church that I got saved in and I, my family was there, like, what was I supposed to do? And so I kind of asked for a little break. That that was her suggestion. She was like, well, why don't you take some time off? You're going yeah. through this divorce. Like, just take some time off and maybe just see where God's leading you. Mm-hmm. But um, I decided to take the time off and the pastor completely cut me off. So he blocked me on all social media. He blocked my number and he told the church members and staff not to talk to me because I had severed my relationship with the church. And so there I was, single mom, freshly divorced with no church community. And... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That that's uh, that. Hearing you say that is mm-hmm. is painful. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that people go. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna check out on church. Correct. Yeah. You you mentioned. I think this is on social media recently uh-huh. about uh, having to use food stamps or getting not being able to buy diapers. Yeah. And now that's not the situation where you're in. No. And you can. Uh, like afford to buy I diapers. Know, it's crazy. One of the things that some people at our church started doing was um, we have a food pantry that, that they really mm. doubled down on during the pandemic. Yep. And a lot of people do this uh, from our church. And this is definitely not a me thing. And diapers is a big part of that. Yep. And so there's diaper boxes, <clears throat> excuse me, all over our building because people donating do- diapers to give to yep. family. Can you describe mm. the experience for someone to give you diapers and what it yeah. would feel like? Because maybe your experience would be similar yeah. to some of these people. This is so funny because when I got pregnant with my first daughter, I mean, first of all, I was so scared. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, we don't have enough money for this. Like, this is kind of crazy. What's about yeah. to happen? And I actually signed up for a community pregnancy center. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm literally working 60, 70 hours a week in the church. And I am honestly sitting in a pregnancy center, a community pregnancy center, totally for free with members who are in the church on financial assistance from our church. And I'm on staff at the church in the classes with them because I didn't have any money. And I love this pregnancy center. I mean, it was one of those ones where you go and you do the classes and they give you little tickets Yeah, and you can go like shopping in like the, the community center closet for things. And I remember, um, walking out with boxes of diapers from my little tickets that I cashed in and clothes for my daughter, hand-me-downs for my daughter and thinking, man, like this is just amazing. Like I'm so glad that God's blessed me with the resources to do it. The other day I, I bought my first box of diapers for my son. And I literally thought about this very thing the other day. I said, this is crazy that fast forward six years and I'm able to buy my own diapers. And then I bought a size one um, extra additional box and gave it to a family I know that's in need. And it's just so crazy that God's like redeemed and restored my my story in these ways. But the truth is, I'm kind of glad that I went through those things because now the generosity that flows, flows out of me is not because not just because I want to be a good Christian and I want to be a giver, yeah. but because I know what lack is. Uh. I know what it means to receive something that you need, not just want, like gifts are great, but you need, like you need diapers, you need food, yeah. you need formula and it's meaningful, you know? Yeah. It, I think the post, you also mentioned something about like uh, being able to, to nurse 
Not out of need, but because you want to. want to. Yeah. So I'm like a breast pumping machine at this point. Okay. I have a milk leech. He's four months old. <laughs> it's great. Um, but when I was breastfeeding my daughter, um, it was out of necessity because formula trying to figure it out. And when you're on WIC and food stamps, you just get a certain amount. And so some of the things that you use it for, like formula, it kind of consumes it all so that you can't get food in different areas. So it's like a, a little, it's a limited amount. Yeah. You're having to yeah. kind of divvy it out. And so I'm like, okay, I got to keep breastfeeding. So I'm, I'm breastfeeding for a year with my daughter, um, which was just a blessing. And then we switched over to regular milk. Praise the Lord. Well, now <laughs> help us. Yeah. Oh, we're it, all good. We're all good. Okay. But now it just went to the little calm down screen. <laughs> you want to turn it off? No, we're you good, we're good. turn that thing. Press that finger. Um, yeah, we're just gonna double check. But now to literally have a choice, like mm-hmm. I have formula in my pantry just in case I don't feel like breastfeeding anymore, and that's like nuts a little bit. Like it's it's honestly if it, it feels like privilege. Like I feel privileged wow. to be able to choose. And now it's like when I look at people that are in poverty and that are struggling to, to meet ends, like it's honestly what's taken away is the choice is like choices. You just don't have choices. Wow. And I have choices now. And that makes me so grateful. Wow. Mm. So there's so much gratitude now. Yeah. And your, your son's Four, Four months. months old right now. So cute. And so let's go back a couple years. Yeah. So Dylan, uh, the story is Dylan's at uh, preschool or, or yep. daycare or something like that. Yeah. And find out that she likes to draw. Yes. And so you have the the parent impulse. Yeah. This this child's going to be the next best thing. The next Picasso specifically. And so you go to the favorite store of, I feel like this is like stereotyping all women, but let's be honest. It is. It's true. You we'll go own it. It, Target. Target. Yeah, tar- Target. <laughs> Target. And you go there. Yeah. And you don't get uh, just the food. Mm-mm. What's your daughter's favorite food was? Pischetti. Which is what my daughter's called spaghetti. Pischetti. <laughs> which is like the best thing ever. I know it is. Pischetti. You go past there, but you have to get what your budding artist needs. That's and that, what of I'm course, saying. is. The easel, dry erase on one side, chalkboard on the other side. Yep. Get some canvas paper, get a little, uh, some coloring books. Frozen was in back then. Good Lord. Oh, yeah. I Hashtag let it go. Yeah. Please. I got an eight year old as well. Go. Yeah. Okay. You know that life. Yeah. And then I get the 64 box of crayons, mm-hmm. which is like the iPad and the stylus now. I love okay? it. I love how you With say the that. Sharpener in the back. I, when you were describing mm. that thing in the back, in my head, I was going, what is it? thing in the back and i go it is the sharpener, the like, sharpener. I it knew came ex- to you it was exactly as you described it my experience like, oh, oh we opened it up and there was a sharpener we said we're about to color all day yeah <laughs> we, we have got it all all we, we need don't is need right anything here. else yeah and so you you get this for your daughter yeah uh, yeah perfect parent kind of thing you want to do Thank this for you. your kid yeah you give your kid this but then something happens when you get home Yes, unfortunately, I set her up in the living room with all the little crayons and all the things. I went in the kitchen to go cook. And I mean, honestly, 0.7 seconds later, all mm-hmm. right, that mysterious quiet comes over the room where you know, like, it's someone's never lost an eye. It's never, never good. good. And I go back in the living room and she has just, I mean, it's like she dumped all the crayons out and then, like, she just robbed them of their dignity. Like, mm-hmm. she just Stripped took them. all their little clothes off. They're naked. Yep. And then she's written on the wall. Mm. It's just so much destruction in so such little time. But she is acting like nothing's happened at all. She's like laying on her stomach and coloring her little frozen book. Like mm-hmm. nothing has happened at all. It's no big deal. 
And yeah. the first thought was, well, this is not the next Picasso. No. Okay, I need to lay down that dream immediately. Yes. I need to return my mm. beret because I thought I was going to go to Paris. Paris, because that's where, yeah. Because that's where artists start. Yeah, exactly. Okay? Um, <laughs> and so I'm cleaning up. I put her to bed, all the things. I'm cleaning up all these crayons and I am crying. <laughs> it's so funny when I imagine myself. I'm so dramatic. But I'm like, this is my life. Like, I'm so broken mm. and all the things. Um, and what's crazy is that night I was writing a sermon because I was at the fellowship of Christian athletes as a student pastor, all the things. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to go speak at this middle school and I'm like, Lord, I do not need to stand up in front of these middle schoolers. They're going to be like, ma'am, she is just up there crying because her life is so crazy. Yep. But I just, I, I felt the release to like actually go do it and i'm like lord you're just gonna have to provide this message i don't know yeah. i'm scrolling on instagram that night i roll past this graphic it says broken crayons still color yep and it was like i call them god winks now mm-hmm. but it was like the first god wink that mm-hmm. i had really gotten i was in a super desperate place transitioning out of a marriage and out of a church i didn't have a job i was struggling and I remember getting up on that dang middle school stage and pouring my freaking heart out and like talking about this concept of broken crayons to color. And I was just like, and God's going to use all of you guys. This is going to be so good. No matter what has happened in your 12 years of living. But it was one of the most powerful messages I'd ever get got uh, given. Yeah. And I think it was because I wasn't pretending. Hmm. I had been pretending for so long. I'd gotten up on stages and I'd just been pretending wow. for the first time when I, surrendered my weaknesses my real brokenness it was like god was like yeah i've been waiting for you to do this all along watch what i can do Mm -hmm. when you have nothing left to give yeah and it was awesome people came up to me afterwards oh my gosh can you do that message at my church i mean it just opened up a whole nother thing um but honestly i said no i was like i'm not going to do any more ministry because i knew that i needed a season of healing and so my next journey was let me let me heal how long did this stage season of healing Take for Ooh, you. child. I was 24 and I was freshly divorced and I was single mom and I was actually had to move in with another single mom because we just didn't have any yeah. money. Um, and I just, you know, what was interesting is I always believed in God. I, I didn't, my, you know, experience with abuse, spiritual abuse in the church never tainted my why do you, belief in God. Why do you think it didn't affect? Because I think when you hit rock bottom, you need something bigger than you. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a small group leader. And those are all great things. But you need something, someone really, who knows you, who created you, Mm -hmm. and who you can actually depend on. And I just, I always have had this real childlike belief in God. Like, if I jump off a building, I'll be straight. God's going to catch me. Like, I just, it just is what it is. Like, this is just kind of how my little brain works, you know? Um, And so I... I went on this this healing journey and that looked like me sitting in a counseling office and it was very scary at first because in my culture, in the African-American culture, it's like, what are you doing going to a shrink? Like, are you okay? Yeah. And when I told my parents for the first time, I'm like, yeah, I'm getting ready to start counseling. I'm going to see a therapist. My mom literally picks up the phone. And she's like, do you have schizophrenic? I was like, schizophrenia, but okay. Um, she said, are you bipolar? You know, like, <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, like, I just want to like, Mm-hmm. I want to be healthier. Like, I, you know, I just, I feel like this marriage has impacted all of me. And it does because our unhealth leaks, right? Like we don't, we're not just unhealthy wives and husbands. We're unhealthy daughters, coworkers, moms, mm-hmm. dads. And I was leaking. I was leaking on my daughter mm-hmm. and I wanted to be better. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, man, years of healing. Here we go. That's so that's 24. Okay. You, yeah. you talk about counseling as one of the uh, four things that like, these are the, the, the actions. The that, yeah. Yep. Y- 
in the book, you mentioned this, what you just said about yeah. in the African-American community, typically not uh, very pro-counseling. You're not, yeah. uh, obviously, the first person on the podcast to talk about that as a person of color. Yeah. Uh, for those of us, for my listeners, in case you didn't know, I'm not a person of color. <laughs> I think you figured that out already. Um, help us understand that, because I grew up, my dad's a psychologist. And so there's wow. always been a level of positivity. Yeah towards counseling yeah. because you know pays the bills yeah but also because you know it's it's normal yeah. why do you think the negativity has been so normative in the african yeah. American well community? i think when you when you start thinking about um resources just in general i mean we're talking about financial resources medical resources yeah, yeah. i think in the african-american community for a while we didn't have access to it yeah. right because of segregation oppression all the things mm-hmm. and so i think we just kind of developed a way of life without it Right. Like we don't need that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I think about my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, like they're just were fighters through and through. And any type of help was frowned upon. You you work hard, you do what you need to do and you keep it moving. Mm -hmm. And I think now there's kind of this like tide that's turning a little bit, even with my own parents, as they've seen me grow and become more whole. And they're like, tell me about counseling again. Tell me about that. Why do you need that? Well, you're strong in your mind. And I'm like, no, sometimes we're not. And, And being able to explain that to my parents now, being able to say there are moments of weakness and it's okay, that we need help. I explained it to them, you know, by saying, you go and see a doctor to help you with your physical needs. And my mom's been very sickly. She had a stroke when I was eight years old. She was paralyzed on her left side, lost her large intestine, blood clot. I mean, so many different things that I walked her through. I've kind of been using that as an example to say, you've needed doctors to help you heal physically. Well, my mom came from an abusive marriage, which, you know, was when we kind of see generational cycles. Um, And then got out of it and then married my dad. But I tell her, I said, you know, the moments where you doubted dad, where you were jealous, where you had really hard moments with something, you think that just came from nowhere? Do you think that maybe became, came from your first marriage? What would it look like if you talked to someone about and healed some of those wounds? Do you think you would bring that into the next marriage? And so it's been really helpful for them. But I think historically, generationally, it's just been hard. Yeah. 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 Well, I appreciate you sharing that. But yeah. I, yeah, I can imagine that it would be uh, if counseling is seen as a privilege or as yeah. something that you do if you have extra resources yep. and yeah i mean i, I can it's understand like, oh, yeah no, make, we don't need it that makes perfect sense yeah you know I, I get that and yeah. one of my buddies uh who's um uh, he's probably 20 years older than me yeah and uh born in alabama but spent the majority of his life in, in compton where he lives now and he pastors yeah. there and his joke is like oh all you white pastors let me guess you go to your counselor every week and <laughs> And you kiss your dog in the mouth, and you wear oh my skinny gosh. jeans, and I was like, "Well, yeah, but let's I mean, yeah, but still, yeah, but I mean, if is Don't there something wrong? In a box. No, I mean, let's not, but but sure, yes, I'm not going to yeah. disagree with any of that stuff. But oh, anyway, there's just different under- assumptions about it. But as yeah. you're describing to your mom, like, yeah. it requires a level of bravery for you to be able oh, yeah. to talk to him, and that that's across gender or race or anything. Yeah, and the, you know, obviously, that's the title of your book. You know, yeah. brave enough to be broken. Yeah, we're all broken. Yep. But why does it require bravery oh, man. to acknowledge it? Dude, I love this question so much because, first of all, I feel like- The I other be, questions you didn't like. It's like, yeah, this sucks. All the whole thing sucks. 30 so minutes. Now we're finally no, getting to the- A I'm good question. But um, I love it because I, I feel like I have the authority to speak into this because I've done it wrong. I have not been brave enough to be broken. Again, I was hiding for years. Mm-hmm. Hiding trauma, hiding abuse, hiding addictions, so hiding a, a toxic, abusive marriage. I mean, all the things that no one knew- And 
I think at the end of the day, it just doesn't take a lot of courage to be perfect. That's easy stuff. Oh, look, my kid's doing great. Oh my gosh. I drew my eyebrows on today. They look like sisters, not cousins. Like, it's great. <laughs> you know, like, we're doing our thing. If I had a dollar for every time I said that. <laughs> that was yeah. Just one dollar. Um, but it's not. it doesn't take a lot of courage to show up perfectly. It takes bravery to say, I mean, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really, I've got this addiction and I've got these, these suicidal thoughts. I've got this anxiety that's been creeping up. I got, I have this depression that's been taking me out. It takes bravery to look someone in the eye and say, Ooh, I'm struggling. Yeah. And I think that that's the way that the enemy kind of takes us out because if we can believe what society believes that it's actually the opposite that's like no you can't be weak like actually it's perfection that gets us to success if he can get us to think that it's perfection that gets us to success when really it's surrender if he can get us to believe that then he can get us to hide from it Mm -hmm. and when we hide shame sets in and then we freaking fall and we have seen it time and time again we've seen pastors leaders ruin their families i mean become so destructive lose everything they have even Mm -hmm. take their own lives and what happens afterwards, we're so shocked at the story. Oh my gosh, can you believe he was doing this? Can you believe that she had this addiction? We're shocked because we didn't know because they were hiding. Yeah. When we can get out of the darkness and into the light, when we can be brave enough to claw our way out of valleys and at least tell somebody if we can't claw our way out, mm-hmm. then I think God can do what he does best, which is redeem the story. Yeah. Heal us. Yeah. Well, we got to be brave. That's, I mean, that that's so spot on. And yeah. unfortunately, it's far too accurate and far too Dang it, close I to know. home. And uh, I mean, you just talked about suicidal ideations and and mm-hmm. uh, and suicide itself. But you know, part of our church's story is that we had one of our elders who passed away from suicide yeah. a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and truly heartbreaking thing. And obviously, there's um, you know dear family friends of mm-hmm. mine. He was the only elder whose number was in my phone before I came to this church. He's oh. my father-in-law's best friend. And so this is near and dear to my heart. Yeah. And so for years, we've talked about this yeah. since then. And and I found myself saying these things, hey, you, you got to be vulnerable and you're not the only one and yep. we're all struggling and blah, blah, blah. And yet I still find within me oh, yeah. a propensity to go, I know, Luke, you say that on the stage and mm-hmm. you tell anyone the opposite of what you find yourself being tempted to do to say yep. right now, man, I'm I, like, say, I feel depressed. Yeah. I, I have a degree of reticence to mm-hmm. say that because I don't want to be re- like, I don't know what it is, but like intellectually, yeah. I know I don't believe that to be true. Yeah. But in like in my core, I'm like, yeah, but you still don't want to put that out there. Yeah. And so it's it, it just in almost insipid. Like it's just always mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Your, uh, I think it's your favorite verse from Second uh, Corinthians. Oh, 12 verse 9. Okay. Mm. Talk about how much that verse means to you and, and why you think it's so fitting in this. Oh, man. It was the verse that I felt like God had given me for the, that dang middle school <laughs> that mm-hmm. I had to preach at. Um, I mean, it, it, and if for those of you not familiar with it, it just says, you know, God's grace is sufficient for us and his power is made perfect in weakness. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power will rest on me. And it's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And I love the scriptures that come before it because he's kind of being a little sarcastic, which is why I freaking love Paul so much. Mm-hmm. He's like, gosh, if anyone should be boastful, he's writing to them about boastfulness, yeah. about being prideful, about being, you know, kind of oppressive to some of the people in the church and in their community. And he's like, if anybody should be boastful, y'all, it should be me. I'm on boats. I'm out here starving. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't went to jail. I didn't got stuff cut off. All kinds of things are happening Mm -hmm. over here. Okay. If anyone should be boastful, it should be me. Look at 
what I've done. Look at mm-hmm. all that I've done for the kingdom. He says, but I've got this thorn in my side mm-hmm. and it reminds me of my weakness. And and then he starts to teach us what happens when we go to God with our weaknesses. He says, I go to God with this weakness, with this thorn in my side. And here's what God says to me. Mm-hmm. He says, Paul, first, I'm not going to take this away because my grace is sufficient for this thorn, for this weakness. And my power is made perfect in it. Mm-hmm. It's the second part, which that is cute, right? Like we all want God's grace. Cute. We're like, yes, trading my mm-hmm. weakness for the Lord's power. But it's really the second. You almost sang. Uh, <clears throat> trade my weakness. There it is. There Sorry. It is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Pastors you sing. Yeah, we're working on I'm that. I'm a worship leader, kind of. Yeah. But it's really the second both. part. Thank you. But it's really the second part that people don't want to do. And it's Paul saying, okay, because all of this is true about God, I have a responsibility. Therefore, mm-hmm. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses mm-hmm. so that in order that it's a formula here, Christ's power will rest on us. Yeah. It's very difficult to receive and expect the power of God when we think we're the powerful ones. When yeah. we think, oh gosh, we've got it all together. I'm good to go. When we go to God with the truth, which is we are imperfect and we're wired for struggle, and we submit our weaknesses, we boast about our weaknesses, it's when God does his best work. I mean, mm-hmm. he does his best work in the broken places. Mm-hmm. And I just love that scripture. It is a reminder to me every day. I think about it every single day because I wake up and I'm like, Lord, don't let me mess this up because I'm capable of it. Mm-hmm. I'm capable. I'm crazy. Yeah. Luke, I am two. No, I'm probably three old fashions away from skinny dipping <laughs> and losing it all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And honestly, that's why I don't drink old fashions. That's what I'm that's trying just, to say. To I you. stick to margaritas. Okay. I yeah. need to have guardrails. Yes. Because I'm a wild girl. Like, mm-hmm. it just is what it is. I like to I like to party. Mm-hmm. I like to party. I like to do wild things. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that about myself, like, I have to surrender to Jesus daily. Because if not, I'm going to drift. <laughs> I'm just going to drift into the club. <laughs> so my <laughs> wife said, uh, this is during the pandemic, she had this realization. She goes, Luke, I think the reason that God made you a pastor is so that he could keep a better watch on you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And you so need accountability. Yeah, exactly. I need I need to be here every Sunday and I need, <laughs> I need to be it. like reading the Bible every day, like forced yep. to do it. Yep. And so your story is youth pastor, FCA, yeah. yep. and then you have this break. And then all of yep. a sudden you find uh, your way back to being in a church, not just being a church, but... Uh, do you call first lady your church? Or like, oh, I hate that oh, title. Okay, uh, no, Luke, <laughs> don't fall prey. We, I, I was um, uh, when my wife and I first got married. I was visiting a friend of mine. He, uh, he's a football player in the AC where I went to school. Oh, yeah. I was a track guy. He was a football guy, and he started preaching this church. So I went to his church uh, to visit, see him preach on a Sunday night. Yeah. It was a uh, predominantly. It was like except for me, everyone was black. Okay, and so. I go in there, my wife's there, and, and they're like, oh, is this is this uh, your first lady? Because they knew I was a pastor. And, oh and my, my wife's God. like, and, the, and so we talk about that all the time, Y'all first lady. Love we love it. We love it because I know. that is the antithesis of our experience. My husband tried to give me the first lady title, and I said, it's going to be a no. No. It's going to be a strong no. I will be a pastor's wife gladly. But first okay. lady. It's going to be a no. Hard pass. Well, I just think from my last church experience, I, we had a first lady, mm-hmm. and I just think I'm scarred. I'm scarred. I think first lady is like big hats. Correct. Is big that right? Suit. But I mean, you have some other first ladies that just kind of, I don't know, it's like new age first uh-huh. lady, but it's going to be a no. Okay. So uh, your husband founded, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Founded what? and planted Story Church. Were you there when, like, what's the timeline on this? Tell me. Okay. So, well, he wanted to Were you guys church. married? 
And then story. Okay. Yeah, okay. So here's how it all went down. Okay. okay. We met each other. He was at North Point Ministries under the leadership of Andy Stanley. Oh, okay. North Point. Yep, yeah, yeah. As like a communicator, essentially. So on mm-hmm. stage on Sundays and all kinds of different sure. environments. We met there. And he pulled me into North Point. He was like, you got to come visit this church. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, who is this God that you guys are talking about? This nice God that's not mad at me because I didn't tithe last week. Like, what is happening? So I wow. found a new God. Okay. okay. The real God. And um, then we started dating. And then I hopped on the communications team at North Point and started. Did, you guys are dating at the time? Yeah, we're dating. And you're like, hey, let's be co-teaching people. <laughs> yeah, so we're contractors, essentially, how North Point does it. Yeah. And um, and we're at different campuses. We're like floating, doing our own mm-hmm. thing. And then we quickly get married, which was a little crazy because Andy recommended that after divorce, you take two years off. We didn't. Um, we were like, so And that's smart. why you had to go start your own church. Right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's like, bye, we got to go. We stayed there. <laughs> they, um, they, they remarried us. We got eloped. And then we got married in one of the North Point ministry churches. And um, oh, then we on. stayed there for seven was years. Was it like the elope not count? or is right. it? Well, see, what happened was... Well, was like why did y'all just elope like what's going on because we didn't tell anybody <laughs> everything's fine um is that the i'm not pregnant that's what that was <laughs> like surprise i from i don't know my mom did ask are you pregnant you got another baby on the way i said like, i don't girl stop we was in love drunk in love just kidding my husband doesn't drink unfortunately um i'm just kidding just kidding guys okay no it's one a, knows what to take serious at this it's point. a beyonce song i that's believe what I'm to say. thank yeah. you um and so yeah we get married and then we just start serving at north point so communications team um became like kind of the itinerant speakers type thing kind of got on the road both of us and um fast forward to just as these past two years we've been like man we just Mm -hmm. feel called to plant a church and so june of 2021 Mm -hmm. we had our first service and so you guys go there together uh yeah okay it's story but it kind of like didn't it start as started off as hillsong Hillsong. atlanta So after North Point, we were like, man, we really want to build a church. And the church that we wanted to build was so different from North Point that we just couldn't do it under the umbrella. For sure. So Andy blessed it and was on our board and all the things. Mm -hmm. Um, But we were still looking for someone to do it with. We wanted a covering. We didn't just want to plan a church. Right. And so we started just talking to different people, different ministries, ARC. I mean, all the guys, Mm -hmm. all the things. And someone said, you guys should go talk to Hillsong. And we're like, well, we don't really know them. Like we've never been in that world. Like they kind of have this family world where everybody's kind of born and yeah. there Joel, yeah. and so we ended up at a meeting and we get invited into Hillsong and we're like oh snap so we became the first African American global pastors at Hillsong really they announce us and six days later the Carl Lentz thing comes out wow and we're like what wow. just happened okay so backstory Carl was on the podcast when his book came out okay uh, one of my friends yeah. was uh at the headquarters at Sydney. He used to be the worship mm. guy in London. Okay. Since Paul McGeary, Nevison. Yeah. But then he, uh, anyways, so we became friends early into the, when I started my podcast. Yeah. And um, so I've had a handful of Hillsong you people connected to. Yeah. And uh, so I knew about y'all starting yep. Hillsong Atlanta. I, I yep. mean, I didn't know, I knew it was happening, but it's I didn't happening. know who and you guys were. Yeah. And, and then, then the Carl stuff happened. To, and we and, were like, we can't build a church in this. And Hillsong was very gracious. Like, they were like, hey, we didn't invite you to be going through all of this. Like, we get it. We transitioned yeah. out because we just couldn't build a church in Scandal. You no, know? I, I get it. And, and we love them, always honor them. Incredible, incredible people. Incredible yeah. people. We'll always say that. Uh, but we just couldn't build a church with that type of turmoil. No, I get Especially it. because it wasn't our baggage to carry, you know? Yeah, you, you step into that and there's a lot of stuff. It's like, the whoa, scenes. what's happening right now? We don't and know anything. I, whenever I talk about, I always want to, like, I've, 
Joel's been on a couple times. Yeah. Joel Houston, who yeah, yeah. many people know from singer songwriter for so many of the oceans yes. and everything. Yeah. Uh, I think the world of him and yeah. you know my behind the scenes stuff say great things about him and all oh, that. Yeah. So uh, anyway, very complicated. But you guys go through a pretty traumatic thing as the church begins. Literally, the inception of the church. We were like, "What is going on?" Like it yeah. was hard, and honestly, it was devastating. Yeah. I mean, here we are, like, man, we have found a covering, we found our people, we found mm-hmm. support and family and love, and we're gonna do this, and we're gonna build the kingdom, we're gonna be a part of something that's global, oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Mm-hmm. And then it was just a no. It mm-hmm. was a hard no, and the question was, do we continue building a church? And then we had to remember what God had told us, that we were supposed to build a community, shepherd over a people, that I was supposed to support my husband in that. And I obviously still am on the road and, you know, doing my own thing, but getting to teach and preach at our church and Mm -hmm. help my husband and and just behind the scene ways. I always tell him, I'm like his number one consultant. Like he can come to me with any question because I've been in the church world, you know? (laughs) Number one consultant. Like that sounds very like dignified. Consultant. Consultant. Okay. Thank you. Consultant. He hates it. He loves it. (laughs) I get on stage and I'm like, hey guys, it's Tony. And someone's like, Pastor Tony. I'm like, don't call me pastor. Consultant Tony. Regular, regular Tony. Regular Tony. Regular Tony. One of the practices that you recommend is gratitude. And you talk about gratitude as it like contradicts the enemy's voice. Oh, yes. So you're going through, you start this church and like in some ways, early chapter in your church experience, uh, Let's just call it toxic. Yeah. Okay. Things fall apart. Yeah. Life's coming together. Yeah. Meet this wonderful guy. I've Yay, never met him, but we're just, I'm going to take your word for it. Yeah. Amazing. And you get attached to uh, a covering of a church that's impacted a lot of people in a very yep. positive way at that yeah. point where like that was yeah. the, the general assumption, very positive. Yeah. Um, this happens. A lot of probably the enemy's voice pop mm, up. Yeah. So I'm asking you like, you talked about gratitude as a way yep. to contradict the enemy's voice. Yeah. Did you have any like ways that gratitude was presenting in that moment that was really, mm. uh, let me use a fancy word, salvific? That oh. was, isn't that a good word? Wow, that was awesome. Yeah. I didn't even feel like it's real. Salvific. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's a real word. I don't know if I've ever heard it. it I'm it, so excited it, it's about a, it. It's a real word. <laughs> it's, yeah. Was that just Ricky Bobby right there? Is this, yeah. That's what I thought. I was like, that's Ricky Bobby you just did right there. Okay. Gratitude during. Gratitude during okay so i i believe that gratitude combats the enemy's voice because i i feel like it helps us to remember mm-hmm. and in really dark and hard moments where we've got our expectations up and we think we're going to do great things and then it all comes crashing down the greatest tool that we have is our memory is thinking about all the things that god's already done oh come on now and all of the things that he has promised and how he's promised and how he's fulfilled it. Mm-hmm. Remembering the character of God in that season was so good for us. Remembering the call that God had put on us mm-hmm. was so special in that season because it's like, all right, we are still called. I remember the Lord saying we were supposed to do this. It doesn't look like we're supposed to do this. It looks like it's crumbling. But if I hold on to and remember what God told me first, mm-hmm. then there is absolutely no destruction, no darkness, no un raveled plans that could take away the promise he's already made we're supposed to do this and crazy fast forward six months after all that our church is not only stable it's growing it's stable financially it's Mm -hmm. nutso and i i think that comes with waking up every morning and saying all right what can i be grateful for today come on and every morning because you can do your little gratitude practices like once a week but you will forget we're we're human we just forget things I have to, I love that I get to talk about my story a lot and talk about my book because 
it helps me to revisit eight-year-old Tony, 13-year-old Tony, 24-year-old Tony that hit rock bottom. When I revisit those moments, I'm like more grateful walking into today because it still freaking shocks me that I'm on Luke's podcast right now, knowing that six years ago, I was scrapping up change to get coffee for breakfast and lunch. What is even happening? Six years ago, yeah. Yeah, what's going on right now? It's, It's me saying, I remember the good times and how God showed up in them, the treacherous times and how God showed up in the valleys. And now when I'm in moments where things kind of start going wayward a little bit or not the way that I want to, I'm like, Mm-mm-mm. I remember the promises wow. of God. I remember mm-hmm. that he was there before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, gratitude. We got to so do good. it. We got to do it. Uh, that's my sermon for Sunday. Okay, got it. About an hour and a half I before you got here, it. I finished up my, I do a focus group Thursday for yeah. the sermon. And I wish you would have just been here because I'm like, hey, just, I'm just going to say what she says. Say so just listen. Said. Take to, it. Yeah. Just like, yeah, listen back. I already it. finished it though. Like I'm already oh, done over. with it. So Take maybe it. next, next week. week. Next week. Yeah, I'll <laughs> do that one. Uh, that's so good. I love yeah. that. And you tie uh, the power of hope. Mm. The idea yeah. that we too can experience yeah. a, here it is again, a salvific moment. We can experience the power of like healing in our brokenness because mm. like, and there's hope for that. Yeah. Can you give a word? Cause I know there's some of us right now who are. Come on. I <laughs> oh, will give a word. Okay. Give a word for those of us who feel like our brokenness is the end of our story. Oh man. Number one, God does his best work in the broken places. I mm. love so much that we have the word of God. Mm-hmm. Because it quite literally shows us how powerful he is, mm-hmm. how weak we are, and how he uses our weakness for his glory. Mm-hmm. Just stories, just left and right. You got Paul, little crazy self, was a Christian bully. Messed around and wrote over half the New Testament. It like, did. what are it we happened. even talking about right now? Yeah. We've got the woman at the well. We've got, I mean, we've got stories of redemption weaved in and out. I mean, the woman that committed adultery and he said, get up, like, go and sin no more. Live a full life. Like, we have seen redemption. Mm-hmm. And so I I think maybe it's not that we don't believe that God can redeem. It's that we believe that we're unworthy of his redemptive power. And so for someone that's in a a valley right now, you got to know that God's not at the end of the tunnel being like the light that says, clean yourself Mm -hmm. up, get it all together. And I'm going to, I'm going to come, I'm going to come to you when you're all cleaned up. No, he is the light that is lighting our way through the tunnel to get to the other side. He's with us in the valleys. Dr. Kurt Thompson, one of my mentors says this all the time. He says, sometimes it's not the pain that we're scared of, the brokenness we're scared of, the grief that we're scared of. It's that we would do it alone. Mm. You are not alone. You're not alone in that. And the one thing that I think that we could try our best to hold on to when all seems lost is the hope that it will get better. That's all we need. We don't need for it to get better today, tomorrow. It took me years and years to heal for things to feel better, especially on healing journeys because healing is not linear and that crap is painful. Okay. Some of my hardest, most desperate moments was after I started my healing journey. Yeah. Because I started to look back in my story and realize that all that darkness really did happen to me. That hmm. that maybe I wasn't worthy enough for someone to protect me. And then all the redemption came. But if that's you right now, it's okay to be in that valley. It's yeah. okay to be like, man, this really freaking sucks. Mm-hmm. All you need is a little hope that it'll get better. That's so that's good. All you need. That's so good. That's all you need. That's it. That's the word we all need. Okay, bye. Okay, uh, I want to go through my notes, see if there's anything we didn't cover that I want to talk about. <laughs> okay. uh, Pischetti, got it. Pischetti. Diapers, um, crayons, we talked about that. Mm. 
What else do we want to talk to? Oh, uh, lies that we believe. All right, quickly. Here's Ooh, one thing. The lies of one. the enemy. Okay. Uh, Chapter 10. Page 54, if you're reading home. Okay. Uh, tell me if any of these are true. I have to be perfect to be used by God. True or false? Oh, false. I'm not worthy of healing. False. I deserve... Okay, I'm not going to make you do the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I appreciate you going going full character in that. Like, <laughs> Thank you, really, you so much. You really got into well, that. you're welcome. Um, I'm not worthy of healing. Mm. Do you think a lot of us feel that way? Oh, yeah. Okay. I th- I think at the end of the day, if especially for those of us with trauma and abuse in our past, like all the things, y- you get to the point where it's like, if so much has happened, like that be- then becomes my identity. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just so broken. We I, Thankfully, I get to, before I wrote the book, I have been walking with women from all across the world through a six-month course that I have yeah. called The Hopeful Woman. And it's six months of really diving deep into healing and pointing them to resources and all the things. We're, we're meeting every month. It is intense. The number one thing I hear is, I just, I just, I don't think that my life's going to get better. Like, I don't, I've been through so much. Like, this is just my story. Like, I'm always, I'm never going to find the guy that I want. I'm never going to get the job that I want. I'm, I'm, it's not going to happen. I just don't believe that it's going to happen for me. Okay. Well, why don't you believe that it's going to happen for you? I mean, maybe I just don't deserve it. Well, I don't need to deserve it. Well, I'm not worthy of it. And I'm like, well, who are you? Who, who deems you worthy? Well, I mean, the guy that I dated, the girl that dumped me, the... Yeah. Oh, well, it's because you have been trying to extract your worth out of unworthy human beings. You got to extract it out of the creator. Mm-hmm. That's who calls you worthy. And people have started to... And what happens is naturally they start to return back to the voice of God. Then God starts to affirm this, like, oh, you're worthy, you're worthy through his word, through impressions, through time with him, all the things. And then I get women in my course that come around and say... I am worthy of healing. And because I'm worthy for it, I'm going to fight for it because it's mine. It belongs to me. And then people fight and then they get better. Wow. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. It's great. Uh, I, I feel like I'm a fan of yours now. Okay, well, like I this, feel like the I, same way. I feel like people should buy this book. <laughs> uh, title, uh, Brave Enough to be Broken. Yeah. The, when does the book actually come out? Is it November 1st? No, okay. So it's I'll, going down. Okay. You know? <laughs> if only they could hear you singing while they read the actual book. The audio book needs well, to be Well, the audio book is great because okay. they, they really let me get loose. Like, I kind of say some crazy stuff in that. Really? It's like book for sure, but I do get to have a little fun. So, audio book is... I think this audio book is where it's at. Okay, I... That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense it's to really me. Funny. I, I've read... Uh, yeah, okay. Read the audio book. That's... And it'll come out next week. Yeah, People should do first. that. Um, can we go back to the pastor with the Porsche, with the, like the full four I door? would love to loop back to him. At, this is how we're going to close. Okay, and so, not, just so I just want like all of your energy to go mm. right to this question. Got it. I had a 16 year old truck that had to get retired after Easter. Gosh. And there's a guy from my gym who was sales manager at the local Porsche dealership. <gasps> and I'm talking to him. He's like sees this old beater of a truck that has <laughs> almost 200,000 miles. And uh, when I actually did get a new vehicle, they're like, "We'll give you a thousand dollars for it." And I was like, "That is just offensive." Okay. Uh-huh. I'm a offen- wow. like you're hurting my feelings. Nice. Add an extra thousand dollars to the price of the new truck, right? But don't, but but don't say it's only worth a thousand, and don't don't just don't do that. Anyway, uh, I was talking about getting a new car. He didn't for once say, "Come to the dealership, I'll show you something." <laughs> he didn't even think Said, about Let's, it. Let's uh, drive down to the Toyota lot. That, that's where I, I did go to Toyota. Stop it! I did. I got no, a Toyota truck. I love he didn't it. even think to. Is there anything I could do? I don't think I, I'd ever need to drive one, but I want the the guy at the Porsche to think maybe surely. 
There's Pastor like an, Luke. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. That's it. It's going to be a no. They're never going to ask. They're never. Steve. Hey, thanks. Not a lot, when Steve. you roll up with that truck. It's yeah. just going to be a no. You ca- you did, you counted yourself out when you rolled up with that I truck. Know. You should have left it at home. I know. I was walking out of church on Sunday, and someone said, "Oh, you got a new truck." He goes, "I thought we we're about to have to do a fundraiser to get you a oh, new vehicle." Oh, you've been driving around that other little raggedy thing. For, yeah, for I don't okay. Need to talk about. I, I, oh, that was like raggedy. I'm, I feel I like know. that you crossed the line. It came out of me. I feel it like came out of me. It's that's the, the voice of the enemy. I'm so sorry. And I'm going to use gratitude to <laughs> to squelch. Grateful that you came here. The enemy. Hey. I feel like we're friends now. Thank you for this. And uh, congratulations on the book. Way to go. We did it.